Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. We've been talking a little bit for the past couple months. I say a little bit, I mean a lot of bit about healing and what that means for your whole person. We are going through the book of John. The book of John is a story about Jesus. And when Jesus came, he was mostly concerned with healing and what that really means for your life. So at a very immature level, we think that healing is just like, Lord, heal my pancreatitis and I can eat barbecue again or, you know, like all these little things like God just heal that. But God wants to heal you completely. And how do we know that? Because Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. The Bible says over and over and over again in the New Testament that Jesus is the exact representation of God, that he is the radiance of his glory, that everything that Jesus did, he did because the Father wanted him to. He does nothing of himself. He didn't have a wish that he came only to do what God told him to do. Don't you wish you could say that about your life? I only do what God wants me to do. Some of you do feel like that way. You know, like you say to other people and like, she's like, I don't like the way you do that. It's like, hey, I'm just doing what God told me to do. Right. And we're like, yeah, right. Okay. But Jesus only came to reveal God and who he was and his nature. And what he ended up doing, as we see in the gospels, is that he heals diseases He casts out demons and the results, the residue of sin and evil and darkness in our world. And he forgives sins and brings heaven to earth and prepares a place for us in heaven and eternity. That's the three parts of your whole entire body, body, soul, and spirit. He heals your physical he feels your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions, what the Bible, what the Greeks would call your psyche. He heals that, and he heals you in your spirit where you were made to be alive in God, but then you became dead because of sin. Not even your own sin, the sin of all humanity. Right? You're on the losing side from birth. Because of sin in our world. And so when Jesus comes, he comes to save you from all of that. Forgive your sins. Deliver your soul, your mind, your own emotions from torment, from demonic. You know, like, he's talking about the demonic in church. I'm like, I don't believe about that. Well, Hollywood does. Right? I know people who don't believe in God, but go on ghost tours. Am I right? I know people that say that God doesn't exist and angels don't exist and all that whole thing. I don't really get into it, but I'll watch a bunch of shows about the paranormal. Right. There's people who are into all this other stuff. The world is into this stuff in case you hadn't noticed. So you better have an answer. And Christians are weak in this area because we deny that Satan exists in our lives And just live our lives with our butts kicked by him again and again and again. The truth is, you don't even have to do much to fight Satan. You just have to stand on what God said about your life. So Jesus comes and he demonstrates the Father. So John is showing us, as we look through the book of John, I want you to see that this is what happens again and again and again. Jesus comes to defeat the things on earth that are defeating humanity. I want you to hear that again. Jesus defeats the things on earth that are defeating humanity. 
When I say humanity, I don't just mean humanity in general. I don't just mean the government. I don't mean our nation. I don't mean our world. I don't mean everything out there. I'm talking about you. Jesus comes to defeat the things on earth that are defeating. Let's take it a step further. Jesus comes to defeat the things on earth that are defeating me. Feels a little different now, doesn't it? Oh my goodness. That means that I'm called to a level of interaction with God that makes me more than a conqueror. That sounds very, very spiritual, but we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So, Jesus comes to demonstrate that. I want you to begin to participate in it. The whole purpose of revival, we do it every year, but the whole theme of revival is be healed. That God wants you to be healed in your body, your soul, and your spirit. Don't stop until you're completely healed in your body, soul, and spirit. Don't give up until you're healed in your body, soul, and spirit. God wants to heal you and your life. Say amen to that. Okay. So, we're going to talk about a couple different things. Before we get on the text, I just want to point out two verses to you. There are theme texts. I'm going to say them a lot because I want you to get used to them. I want you to know where they are in the Bible. And when people begin to ask you questions about what God is doing in your life, I want you to know that this is God's purpose and design. So Isaiah 53 says this. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Most people want to allegorize this and just talk about this as your sin nature. However, in the book of Matthew, Jesus begins healing a bunch of people physically, And Matthew notes that Jesus healed people physically so that he could confirm this prophecy about him, that he took up your diseases and sickness. So this is a verse about your body, soul, and spirit. I divided it up a few weeks ago. When it comes on the podcast, I want you to look at it. Okay? Look at it with your eyes and hear it with your ears. It'll just be a picture that says he is first. Okay. Participate in that. The next verse is this in 1 Thessalonians 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Sanctification is the process of making you less like the world and more like Jesus. It is a process. Sanctification. You may be a little bit hood and a little bit holy and God is sanctifying you. Say amen to that. Sanctifying you. And when you get to heaven... You will be through this sanctification process. The sanctification is not what saves you. It's what makes you more like Jesus. Okay? So may the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. There's enough people that want to do it on their own. We can just go down the line. I'm not going to preach on all that right now. And it's an epidemic in our world of self-sufficiency. Okay, But the God who calls you to be more, to become more like him, who draws you to himself, he's the one who does it. And he will sanctify you, spirit, soul, and body. That's why we believe for healing in the body. That's why we believe for healing in the psyche, in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And it's why we believe for salvation in our spirit, from dead to alive In God. Those two verses are what we're talking about. So today we're going to look at John chapter 5 and verse 21. We're going to read a lot. So here we go. Open your Bibles. 
John chapter 5 and verse 21. Here we go. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Okay, so in this particular passage, Jesus is addressing people who believe in God, but are skeptical about Jesus. They believe in God, the one who created them, the one who wants to save their soul someday maybe, if they keep all the rules. Jesus is coming to say, God wants to do that in your life, and he's using me to bring it to you. Does that make sense? So Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who believe in God, but not really sure how about they feel about Jesus. So here we go. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Seems like a big old looky-loo. Look over here and look over there. Right? We're going to pack that today. Here we go. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. But has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. That's my dad. And come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you might be saved. (laughs) I love Jesus. I just mentioned that so that you could make it to heaven. Oh, Lord. John was a lamp that burned and gave life, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weighter than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. Look at this. Miracles, signs, and wonders, and everything that Jesus is doing while he's on earth testify about his holiness and who God is. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. Say it. If I want to know God, I look at Jesus. If I want to know God, I look at Jesus. Here we go. And the Father who sent me has testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have God. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have God. If you don't go through Jesus, you don't have God. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. I know a lot of people who know the Bible but don't know Jesus. 
I know a lot of people who can argue with me all day long, and some that might even know the Bible better than me, but they don't know Jesus. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. It sounds a lot like our world, right? Muhammad is a genius. Muhammad is a prophet. We accept all these other religions, but you just mention the name of Jesus in darkness trembles. They get freaked out about Jesus. We'll accept demons. Some even courthouses have statues of Satan in front of them. You didn't know this, but it's true. Like where you would have like Thomas Jefferson statue. There's one courthouse that has a behemoth, which is the statue of Satan in front of it. The world will accept many things, but the truth of Jesus Christ rattles their cages. I have come in my Father's name. You do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. In other words, Jesus is not going to accuse you, but if you want to live by a bunch of rules, when you get there, God will see how well you followed the rules. That's what he's saying. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. Jesus, you're welcome in this room. We know that you show up and you do things in our midst. It's incredible. Help us to never stop honoring you. Help us to look to you. That when other people have opinions in the room, we go, what do you think, Jesus? And you come. And you heal. You restore. Restore people to you in this room. Help us to know you in a greater way. Reveal yourself tangibly, physically, in a way that we are marked by who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of the world is marked by uncertainty. You know, we could talk about the last two years. Uncertain. And everybody's certain about one thing, it becomes uncertainty the next moment, right? And your neighbor's right next to you. Oh yeah, I'm sure that this is only going to be like this way for two weeks, and then it's not two weeks. And then I'm going to go back to work, but now I'm not going to go back to work. I don't want to go back to work. I'm going to stay at work from home. But now I need to get out of the house. I'm certain that my kids aren't going to wear masks when they go to school, and now they have to wear masks. And so I need to pull them out or leave them in. I'm uncertain. Should I get the shot or not get the shot? I'm uncertain. Everything's in a weird kind of way. Uncertain. But it's not new this last couple of years. It's actually been that way your whole entire life. Your whole entire life is marked with uncertainty. Even the people who make billions of dollars usually have gotten there because they don't like the sense of uncertainty. But no matter how much money or how much security you have in possession, you never have perfect security. It's uncertainty in your soul. Even the person 
who is prideful and likes themselves a lot. They're beautiful. Everyone has told them they're beautiful. They're good looking. Everybody has told them they're good looking. They come from wealth and they can fix any problem with their money. All of those people have a moment where they walk into a room and the uncertainty makes them insecure. You can believe in yourself and have all the self-esteem and you can say, gosh darn it, people like me and all of that stuff, but eventually you're going to hit insecurity. As I have listened to people fight against insecurity, they have these things where they go, what is your why? And a majority of people who make a lot of money and are very powerful, and I'm not against a lot of money or being very powerful or having a lot of authority to make decisions. I'm not against that whatsoever. But there's some people who have made that their God. I heard one man talk about, you should do this exercise. It's called the seven questions. And you say, why do you want, and then you start with the first question, and a person would answer it. And then the next question is, Why? And you would go, because, and they would state, you want this, and here's why. And then you ask again, and you would go, why? And you would answer the next question. And seven layers of why would get you to the reason why you want and do what you do. It takes seven questions to figure out your whole entire life, according to some. And this one gentleman got to the end and he said, I got to the bottom and these are my seven questions of why. And he memorized them and he knows them. And his last answer was this, because I want to be in control. Wouldn't it be great to be in control? To know what tomorrow will be and to be in control of it? To know where your kids are going to go and to be in control of it? To have an answer for everything and you get to be the person who's in control. But eventually you get to the place where you do and you interact with all of these things and you realize no matter how much money or what position or where you are or what's going on, you are not in You have uncertainty and it has led itself to insecurity in your life somewhere. And you can be bold, you can be brazen, you can fight, and you can go forward. But it doesn't take very long to see a movie like War of the Worlds when all the aliens come down and start sucking everybody up. And they're like, we should go this way. And Tom Cruise goes running this way. And somehow he makes it to the end of the movie and everybody else is sucked up by aliens that there is no certainty. There's no answer that's going to solve everything. It's just pushing forward with what you know in those moments so you can get to the place that hopefully you have success according to your standards. So Jesus comes and he is dealing with the people who their whole entire life, they have been trying to be certain about something when it comes to God. They've got a whole entire law, it's 600 different laws, and if you do this, and if you don't work on this day, and if you keep the hair on your temples long and curly, hello, then you'll be saved. If you don't eat meat with blood in it, if you don't eat shrimp or lobster, if you make sure to not touch the leper, if you do all of these things on these perfect days, you will have certainty about God. If you honor these festivals and you go to these places and you sacrifice and you do everything just the way we say, then you'll have certainty with God. 
Imagine how good they felt going to bed at night, knowing that they have done everything absolutely perfect, and they are certain about their relationship with God. Except, Jesus comes and goes, hey, all that stuff, you think you know God? You don't know God. All the things you've been keeping, all the things you want to do, everything that you think is so certain about your relationship is actually nothing. You don't know God at all. And Jesus says, God has sent me to reveal to you who God is about the certainty that God has for your life. And he has given me to make a way for you to be certain about God. And so when you lay down at night, you don't have to be uncertain or insecure about all of the things in your life. You can actually find a place in your spirit, the inside, the dead part that wants to go, I'm so uncertain. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Am I making the right choice? Are my kids going to be okay? Do I have a retirement? Is this the right marriage? Should I leave or should I go? Is this the right job? Is my career correct? All of the questions of life stem from a place in your soul that is empty until you let Jesus heal your spirit and life comes in you. So Jesus comes and he goes, hey, you're worried about standing before God and he's going to judge you for everything you've ever done. But guess what? God has appointed me as the judge. And they're like, you, the dirty carpenter, from Nazareth? Do you see these robes? We are holy and successful and acceptable to God. We've been doing this long before you were ever around, young blood. We have been doing this for years. Our ancestors were in the temple when your daddy was just shuffling around sawdust. He says, yeah except for all the things you've been doing to get judged rightly are going to have to go through me. I'm the one who decides. And so healing in the spirit is given to Jesus. And he says, the reason he gave it to me is because, get this, I'm a human like you. He gave it to me because I'm the son of man. I don't do anything that he doesn't want me to do. And he's like, You've been obedient, you've been holy, you've followed after me. And so Jesus is the sinless human, the only one of its kind. So who can judge humans except for another human? Most humans go, only God can judge me. It's not true. Only Jesus can. And actually, the people around you can also judge you. It's not going to go very far, but they can also judge you because they can tell if You know Jesus or not. I could be like this. I can judge you. Jamie, are you going to heaven? And she could be like, yeah. I'm like, do you know Jesus? And she's like, no. And I'm like, judged. Not going. It's that simple. Jesus makes it that simple. And so the Bible talks about in Hebrews, it says like, Jesus is tempted in every way, just like you or me. He knows what it's like. No temptation has overcome you that also Jesus didn't have. But he didn't sin. He was perfect. He made it all the way through. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. 
And he says, I don't want to do this. And God goes, this is what I want you to do. This is the instruction that you have. And in that moment, he's tempted to quit on being obedient to God. And he says, okay, I'll do it. And that in itself is an obedient step to perfection. That he'll make it to the end being absolutely perfect, even giving his life on a cross, crucified until death. That's how obedient he was. Some people can't even be obedient to God when their cable goes off. I know I'm supposed to tithe over here and be obedient with that, but I need to make sure my internet's on because I'm binging something right now. That's just my giving talk for today. And so he says, I'm the one who's obedient. I don't do anything except for what the Father wants. That's what he's saying there. I'm perfect. And so God goes, you know what? I'm so holy and so perfect that no one else can come to me. I can't even look on sin. I can't accept sin. I can't hang out with sin. Everything that's unlike holy and perfect God has to die. And so he sends Jesus... To be obedient to him, to become a man, so that Jesus can judge according to humanity. Jesus is perfect. He does everything right. I only do what the Father is saying. Not just on his own accord. He's also God. God and man. It's a really weird paradigm that we can't quite wrap our brains around. Much like God is in every person in this room, in the room, outside the room, in the Milky Way galaxy. That blows my mind. The Bible says, I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So I'm also in heaven, but I'm also here. I don't get that. Right? Jesus is both God and both man. He comes down, he lives a perfect life, but he experienced humanity. And God goes, you know what? You're the person who's going to judge him. You know what that does? It reveals to me God's heart for humanity. God says, I don't want to judge them. I don't want to send them to hell. I want them to be with me. And so he extends himself in whatever way he can. And he sends Jesus to go and be my representative. Go and show him who I am. Go and show him who I'm like. Show him that I want to heal him. Show him that I want to restore their psyche. Show him that I want to make them from dead to life. Show him that they are so uncertainty, but they have certainty in me. And so Jesus comes down and he's like, hey, right here, I'm the way, truth and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. How do you know that? I'm the only one that can judge. I'm the only one that's perfect. Buddha has some really cool ideas, but he can't get you to God. Muhammad, he has some cool ideas, right? He was actually kind of a good guy. He wanted to get to God. He's got some really messed up ideas. He's got some really messed up rules. Joseph Smith. I mean, I know a lot of people who are in the Mormon church and they're incredibly good people. But if they don't believe Jesus for their salvation, they don't get to go to God. I know people who don't even believe in God that are really awesome people. If we were judging by how good a people everybody was, there's a lot of people that would kind of maybe possibly make it. Except for God is so holy that you don't even know when you're breaking some rules with him. It's like going to another country. And you do some things that are not your culture. And they're like, hey, we don't do that here. It's like, oh, I didn't know. I had the best intentions. I didn't mean to. I didn't know. That's just the way we do it. There's ways that humans do things that are not like God. 
God knew this, and so he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go and I'm going to give a sacrifice that means you'll be covered. If you believe in Jesus, then you'll be able to live in certainty with God. I know people that are Christians that say things like this. I don't even know if I'm saved. Am I doing enough, God? Am I being enough? I've got these issues. I've got these things. And Jesus says, this is his exact words. He says, I want you to believe the wor- believe my words and believe in the one who sent me. Jesus doesn't even say like, hey, believe in me. I'm the dude. He goes, no, believe in what God said. And he sent me. Right? It's kind of like Jesus saying, hey, don't shoot the messenger. This is what God wanted. I'm just doing what God wants. And so what does God say? That's my son. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to what he says. That's it. In Romans, Paul says the same thing. I'm going to take you on a little tour of the Bible for a second. Because we believe the Bible. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. Righteousness is also holiness. Perfection is really what righteousness is. It's not just kind of, I was a good boy today. It's perfection. God will credit righteousness. That means he adds it to your account. Right? For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. We believe in God who raised Jesus Christ. Taylor talked about my favorite Greek word, which is pistis. He was kind of dancing around at first. It kind of sounds like a bad word. Half the people in this room were like, that's what my pastor says all the time. (laughs) I'm so pistis. You can leave those up there, Jay. I'm going to come back. It means to be persuaded. Now, persuasion, as Taylor talked about, if you missed it, I'm sorry. Next year, you'll hear it again. Persuasion means that I am willing to put my whole self on whatever it is that's being presented to me. I'm persuaded. Come on, just stand on here. You'll be okay. It's going to hold you up. Just stand up on this boat. I swear I'm not going to drive it away from the dock. Just fall back into my arms. I'll catch you. When you become persuaded, you put your whole self into it. That's what the word pistis means, persuaded. You put your faith. Okay. So he says, for us who believe in him, God, who are pistis, who are persuaded that God said, this is the way I'm going to judge. Jesus. There's enough people that are like, what more can I do? You know the people that make lists. What, what else could I be doing? Just believe in God who gave you Jesus. And what did he say? Jesus is the way. He'll provide for your sin. Yeah, but what else? There's got to be more. I mean, I'm capable of a lot. Yep, Jesus. What, what do you mean? There's got to be extra. I'm not even sure about Jesus. So we live in uncertainty because we won't trust Jesus. You live in uncertainty about healing because you won't trust what God said. Healing in your body. Healing in your psyche. 
healing in your spirit. There's enough people that are like, you know what? I'm just depressed. I'm just depressed. I'm just depressed. I'm just depressed. They're persuaded they have depression, but they're not persuaded about what God said about their depression. Just little tidbits here. So for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Justification means that he makes you just as if I never sinned. You know what that means? There's a whole lot of people that walk into the church and talk about their past life that doesn't exist anymore. It's just as if I never sinned. There's a whole lot of people that talk to God and go, God, if you could just heal my big toe, thank you. I'm so sorry for what happened in 1987. And he's like, did you believe in Jesus? Why are we bringing that up? It's just as if you never sinned. I justified you from that. I eliminated the record of wrong against you. And there's a whole lot of people that won't believe God for anything because they only believe in their past. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? It's how God decided he wanted to work with you. Not because he hates you, but because he loved you so much for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would just believe in him and the nature of God for their life, they would be saved and have everlasting life. And we think that means that when we get to heaven, we're going to live forever, and you will. But imagine if everlasting life came into your body, quickened it, created healing, restoration, hope, a future for your life. That's everlasting life in you. Last I checked, Jesus said, hey, pray that thy kingdom come, everlasting life, thy will be done, everlasting life, here on earth, just like it is in heaven. God's wrath is a big deal. Isn't it amazing how people want to scream out God's wrath to everybody else? I'm convinced that most people that scream out God's wrath to everybody else are afraid of God's wrath in their own life. And it comes from uncertainty and insecurity. So Jesus says, come to me. I'm the way. Believe him who sent me. That he's going to remove God's wrath. Saved from God's wrath through who? Through Jesus. Jesus. If you have this kind of understanding, you would worship Jesus at a far greater level. But you're so uncertain. I'm just, I don't know. I mean, does God like me? Does God love me? Does he want me? Yeah, he does. I don't know. What does God want? I don't know. Life, life more abundantly. Healing, restoration in your soul, death to life, everything that he's been trying to convince you forever and ever and ever. And you go, yeah, but, but I, I just haven't been a good person. Well, join the freaking club. Do you believe in him who sent Jesus? What more proof do you need? Trust me, I've been to Israel. You go to Israel, you believe in Jesus more than you ever thought in your whole entire life. You're like, well, it's really here. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, 
How much more, having been reconciled now, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's marinate on that a little bit. Let's let it seep in to the fibers of your being. He reconciled you. He restored you. He brought you back. So when the Bible says, before you in your mother's womb, I knew you. In other words, you came from deity through your mother's womb. And you're like, yeah, but now I'm not good enough. Yeah, you're right. But you can be reconciled back to that relationship. God formed you and created you and designed you with purpose and intention through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is all over the Bible. Some people preach another gospel. This is what Paul calls it. It's another gospel when you teach something else other than this Jesus Christ crucified for your sins. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built it up upon him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And I let you know that there are other forces in this world that are at work. For in Christ... All the fullness of deity, that's God, lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Well, I just hope that God can patch up these rough spots. You're brought to fullness. Well, I don't know. I just struggle in my mind. I'm kind of uncertain you've been brought to fullness. I don't know if it's ever going to get better. But, you know, one day we get to heaven, you've been brought to fullness. And he's the head of every power authority in your life. I don't think we have even scratched the surface of how deep Jesus is in your life or wants to be or desires to be. I believe that we have shut off parts of our hearts, mind and soul and thought that it was our job to get better so that when we got to heaven and we were judged, that we would somehow make the roll call. And Jesus goes, no. I'm the one who judges. And Jesus goes, I know what it was like to be human. I know it was so tough that I was willing to die just to wipe it all out. And more than that, I want to bring God to you. I want to bring God to you. Taylor kept saying, there's a bunch of people who will split hell wide open with new knees. And that's like, it's funny But what he means is this. A lot of people will believe God for the pain in their elbow, the pain in their knees. Even receive healing in their body and let their spirit and soul die because they won't fully believe that God wants to heal, restore every part of your life. That the sin you struggle with, the things you are dealing with, the identity crisis that you're going through is all part of your uncertainty and your insecurity 
that is apart from Jesus Christ and his wholeness in your life. That you're not even sure you want to be a Christian sometimes is sometimes rooted in the fact that you don't want to stand before God's wrath. But in John, the Bible says that those that believe in Jesus, that God removes the wrath of God from them. Think about that. God has removed his wrath from you. He has removed his destruction from you. And it's not even like God is walking like, yep, you're destroyed, you're destroyed, you're destroyed. It's that God shows up like a hurricane. He is who he is. And everything that's not tied to Jesus Christ blows away. And that's the wrath of God. Nothing that's not tied to Jesus can stand in God's presence. So when God says, I'm building an unshakable kingdom, what he means is I'm tying people to the truth of who Jesus is in every area of their life, that they'll be unshakable brick by brick by brick, and the cornerstone is Jesus. Bow your heads and close your eyes. so worried about being judged on every every side. We're worried of embarrassment. We're worried of, of the future. We're worried about everything that's going to happen. Well, my kids have to deal with the same things I deal with. Well, I do this, and so it's just karma. All of these things that the world has created, it's just the devil, Satan himself, who wants to strike fear in your life rather than give you security about what Jesus did for you. The Bible says that we have to labor into that rest with Jesus. That we have to work our mind to say, no, I'm, I'm Jesus. No, I'm in Jesus. No, I'm in every day something comes by and wants you to move further away from Jesus. And you go, no, it's Jesus. No, it's Jesus. No, it's Jesus. He's the way. He's the way. And it produces security. You're going to have to labor into Jesus. I'm just going to rest here in Jesus. But what else? What else could you do? I don't know. I'm going to rest in Jesus. But yeah, but I mean, there's got to be something else. I mean, there's more. I mean, it's kind of uncertain about whether Jesus is enough and Jesus is enough. I'm here to tell you. Over and over and over again, the Bible tries to tell you Jesus is enough. Jesus Christ is enough. It's his blood. It's his reconciliation. It's everything he did. And so for your spirit to go from life, from death to life, you have got to rest in Jesus and what he did for you. And when you stand before heaven, when you stand before the judge of all things and you're kind of scared and you're thinking, what's going to happen? You're going to see a familiar face sitting on the throne and it's going to be Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and all authorities given unto me. And a smile is going to come on your face and you're going to say, I know that guy. I'm in good hands. The wrath of God is lifted from me. This hurricane of death cannot stand because I'm tied to Jesus. Everything I'm facing, I can make it through because I'm tied to Jesus. I don't need any more nights of insecurity and uncertainty. I don't need even any more moments of worry and anxiety. I don't need any more what's going to happen in the future because I'm tied to 
Jesus. Today, I want to give you an invitation to dig deeper into this. That you would actually step into the door, as Jesus would call himself, of Jesus himself. I'm going to step through the door of Jesus with full certainty. Maybe you've done that before, but tonight we just need, today we just need to look again and go, yeah, I want the certainty of Jesus, the certainty of Jesus, the certainty of Jesus. Today, if you want to step through that door of Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand with me? Thank you. Thank you. Let's just pray this prayer together. I'll say it once and we'll say it together. It's this, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow after you. That certainty right there should change your life in a way that you have not yet seen. It should be something that is so powerful that you begin to believe in relationship as God proves himself to you over and over and over again. I'm good and I love you and I'm reconciling, I'm restoring, I'm certain, I'm sure everything Father, I thank you for my friends in this room that have come to this place to experience you in a greater way, to experience your glory. Show up in their lives. Mark them this week. Let coincidences become God moments. We think, well, that's weird. That you would speak to their hearts and say, that was me. That was me. That was me. Speak to their hearts and minds and show them the love of God in a greater way that you sent your son to prove your heart for them. And that's all the certainty we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a big praise today.